minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction In the fields of bodies burning As the war machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Poisoning Welcome to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, Australia's sacred cow, Slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national, international events. Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. My name's Joseph Toscana, I'm hosting today's program. If you wonder what anarchy is all about, it comes from the word anarchos, without rulers. It's a society without rulers. How do you create a society without rulers? You devolve power and share wealth. Because what creates rulers are inequalities in power and wealth. So anarchism is a political, social, cultural movement that's existed for thousands of years thousands of years where people have attempted attempted to live their lives in conjunction with the people around them on the basis of equality. Simple concept, nothing radical about it, very simple. Do we look after the needs of everyone or do we look after the needs of just those who exercise power and have wealth? It's very simple. So the anarchist struggle is a struggle to devolve power and share wealth. And when you look at any political, social, cultural struggle anywhere on the planet, if you look at it in those terms, you can't go wrong. Okay, now a few things, just a few little things to tidy up. Now those that are viewer in the city of Melbourne, don't forget, don't forget that this Saturday at 1pm, the West Papua Independence Movement Office, the Federal Republic of West Papua's Movement's Office, Rent Collective Open Day, 1pm, 1 to 3pm, lunch thrown in, interesting speakers. It's a rent collective do, but we encourage as many people from as many facets of society to come and join us on the day. That's this Saturday, the 22nd of April, at 1pm at 838 Collins Street in Docklands. 838 Collins, Collins Street in Docklands. Very simple. Turn up, meet like-minded people, join the Wren Collective. Because the Federal Republic of West Papua Independence Office is the only office in the world. That's right. It is the only Federal Republic of West Papua Independence Office in the world. It is a fawn in the side of both the Indonesian government and the Australian government because it gives West Papua independence activists the ability to interact and put their case forward with governments and non-government institutions in the United Nations. It is a pivotal part of that struggle for West Papua independence. And those of you who think this is a pipe dream, 
Think about what happened with East Timor. It was a pipe dream for many, many years until they achieved that independence. So if you want to join the Rent Collective, this is a great chance to join the Rent Collective. A dollar a day. We're only a few people short, about five to six people short in the Rent Collective. That means we may have trouble making up the rent. So we are keen for people to come along on the day, meet the West Papuans, listen to what they have to say, join the Rent Collective a dollar a day. And if you can't afford a dollar a day, get five of you together, put in 20 cents a day. That's a dollar a day, $365 a year, and you can be part of something which is exceptionally important as far as promoting the cause of West Papua independence around the world is concerned. So 838 Collins Street in Docklands in Melbourne, 1pm to 3pm. Try to get there around 1pm or you'll miss out on lunch. Very popular lunch. And it's always good to donate a few dollars towards the lunch. It is provided by the West Papua community. It's provided by Dapur Sampari uh, lunch and uh, it's always great day. So we have three to four of these events every year. They're open events. Everybody's invited. You don't have to be a member of the Rent Collective to be there, but you will be asked whether you're interested in joining the Rent Collective if you turn up on the day because the lifeblood of the uh, this independence struggle is based on the money being paid for the rent of an office in the Melbourne CBD which acts as an embassy, acts as, isn't, acts as, for the West Papua Independence Movement. So come along. And the strength about this office is that it is supported, it is financed by concerned Australians. So what it means is that we pay the rent, this frees up the West Papua independence movement, the West Papuan activists living in Australia and overseas, to actually pursue that struggle, not concerned about uh, you know the, that office closing because they can't raise the resources. And remember, most West Papuans in this country, and there are very few West Papuan activists in this country, most West Papuans have come here as refugees. They're at the bottom of the uh, pick, uh, pecking order as far as... Uh, Financial security is concerned and it can be very difficult for them to actually just make ends meet, let alone run an office. So the West Papuan Rent Collective has now been going for three years. It is not a flash in the pan. We hope to continue for many more years. We're hoping at a future date to actually be in a position to buy an office for the West Papuan Independence Movement. But currently, it's all about the Rent Collective. So come along this Saturday, 22nd of uh, April, 1 to 3 p.m., 8 38 Collins Street, Docklands. That's 838 Collins Street, Docklands. Now, don't forget May Day, the 1st of May, falls on a Monday. That's right, a Monday. Unfortunately, in Victoria, there is no public holiday for May Day. There is a public holiday in Queensland, and I think West Australia, but I could be wrong. So, traditionally, in uh, Victoria... Most activists uh, join the official May Day Parade on the first Sunday after the 1st of May, which will be on the 7th of May this year. Uh, but the anarchist community has always celebrated May Day on the day it falls. I can't imagine a cel- you know, Australians celebrating Anzac Day on another day, but I'll talk about that. 
So we celebrate May Day on the day it falls, and uh, next week or maybe the week after, I'll uh, talk about the history of May Day and how why May Day is so important to anarchists, especially Australian anarchists, because the history of the Australian anarchist movement is intrinsically linked to the history of, of May Day. Now this year we will be gathering at the eight. If you're if you live in Victoria. Obviously, people around the country will have their own uh, ways they will celebrate May Day. But if you live in Victoria, we will be uh, celebrating May Day by gathering at the eight-hour monument at the corner of Victoria Street and Russell Street at midday and then be walking down to Her Majesty's Theatre. No, we're not going to see a performance, but why Her Majesty's Theatre? Because when the Melbourne Anarchist Club was formed on the 1st of May 1886, they had digs. They had an office on the second floor of Her Majesty's Theatre. It's not the same Her Majesty's Theatre. The old Majest- Her Majesty's Theatre died, uh, burnt down in 1928, but that's where their office was, and uh, we want to uh, pay our respects to those anarchists and activists who played such a pivotal role in establishing anarchism as a political force in this country. All right, let's move on. It is a fascinating week. Well, it has been. I don't know if you'd call it fascinating. Maybe it's been slightly interesting. But I do like a bit of window dressing, you know. I do like a lot of window dressing. Now, you may remember, you may remember, or you may not remember that... 457 visas. Now, 457 visas seems to be the talk of the town today. It's all about 457 visas, isn't it? It's the talk of the town today. So what is the 457 visa? As you know, it was introduced many, many years ago. It's basically a rort. It's always been a rort for employers. I uh, think of it as a little bit like the old Canac rort when... uh, People from the Pacific Islands were kidnapped and uh, taken to work and die on uh, cane fields in Queensland, northern New South Wales, because white men couldn't do that work, obviously. And it was just basically an exploitation of labour. You know, people got a roof over their heads, a few dollars, and uh, you know, and uh, that's 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 how it worked. So the four five seven visa has been a total rort. And what I love about our prime minister. Mr. Uh, Turnbull, I think that's his name, or is it Turnbill? Uh, who knows? If, they, if President Grover doesn't know who he is, how are we supposed to know who the Prime Minister is? But he likes to be on message, you know. He's he's kind of been a bit waffly lately. And what I like about Mr. Turnbull is the fact that the former Prime Minister, um, Taliban Tony Abbott, loves to steal his oxygen. He loves to steal his ox- oxygen. And just before a major announcement is made by the government, Tony gets up, Taliban Tony gets up and tells us it's got to be more conservative, more reactionary. That's what the Australian people want. And if we're not careful, the devil incarnate Bill Shorten will become Prime Minister. You really have to laugh at these people. You think, I mean, he was supposed to be a Rhodes Scholar. You think he has some intellect. Obviously, all he's interested in is his own self. But getting back to our Prime Minister, Mr Turnbull... There he was. He thought he'd be a bit modern. Go on Facebook first and tell us about this 457 visa. We're going to abolish it. It's finished. Australian values. Australia for Australia. Australia first. You could 
tell that he was having a little bit of trouble getting the words out because it's not the type of language he uses. But obviously, the Liberal National Party has been advised by their uh, newer newer advisers. I think they're called Cambridge, who uh, advised Mr. Trump and uh, the uh, British Tories on how to win elections. That you've really got to be on message. You've got to use words which people can understand, like Australia first, Australia values. You know, he was a little bit uncomfortable, but we'll, 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 you know, I can understand him being intellectual. He would be a little bit uncomfortable talking about that shit. But if that's the way to be re-elected, that's the way to be re-elected. Now, I look at this four, five, seven uh, visa announcement a little bit like. You know, there are some Asian shops, if you've been overseas, especially in Japan and parts of China, and there are also parts of uh, Chinatown in various cities in Australia, that you have a look at the window, and in the window there's plastic replicas of the food which you can order, right? They're not very palatable, but they're plastic replicas. It's called window dressing. So what we've seen is one of the most beautiful... Beautiful examples of window dressing couched in dog-whistling racist terms. It was very nice, very good. The the new advisers, I think, have got through to Malcolm that if he wants to be Prime Minister in two years' time, he needs to start using gutter language, you know, Australian values. Now, let's look at what they're proposing. Now, the 457 visa was introduced for a number of reasons – the most important reason it was to bring in non-unionised labour to put downward pressure on wages and put pressure on the trade union movement. It was seen as introducing competition in the labour market, right? Simple. The great thing about the 457 visa system was it was self-regulatory. There was no independent commission which determined what skills this country needed. No independent commission. An employer puts in a a little ad in Facebook and says, Oh my God, oh my God, my apologies to God out there if you exist. Oh my God, I cannot find suitable labour. I will need to have to import labour under the 457 visa system for $380 fee now. So we get goat herders, gardeners, carpenters. And I've got one beautiful example. This shows you how employers think because it's about maximising profits irrespective of the human, social, environmental costs. It doesn't matter. National costs. You know, I know one employer who a decade ago said, Wow, Joe, this is my opportunity. He employed 300 people overnight after a little bit of, you know, organising. He removed all his Australian staff in the factory and brought in 457 visa staff. And what he loved about them was they got there an hour early, they left an hour later. And what he loved about them is they weren't unionised. They didn't take sick pay. He could pay them $1 more than the uh, than the uh, wages at that particular point in time. And he had a docile workforce 
that was happy to work hard to maximise profits for him and his family because they knew that if they put their head downs, worked hard, they would be able to become permanent residents of this country. So the 457 visa was basically a mechanism via which people became permanent residents. And that's what it was about. It wasn't about bringing just people in to do work that Australians could do, but about creating this unofficial form of immigration. Now, if you think the 457 visa is the only visa that we're looking at, forget it. There are over a million people from overseas working in this country legally, right? Over a million on a variety of visas whose aim in the majority of cases is to get permanent residence, whether they come in as students and do some part-time work with their under 457 visas. So it is a rort which has been exploited to the maximum, not just by unscrupulous employers, but employers across the board because it's about keeping wages down, it's about keeping trade unions out of workplaces, it's about having a docile staff, it's about underpaying people, you know, uh, you know, you pay them and say, oh, well, 50% for accommodation, 25% because we gave you a cup of tea, here's your $20, all right? I know I'm exaggerating, but that, that's the way it works in a majority of cases. So I expected some radical changes. When our beloved Prime Minister, Mr Turnbull, gets up and says, gets up and says, we are going to abolish the 457 visas. I expected an independent commission to be put in place which determined where the skill shortages lie. And then I expected there would be increased training opportunities, increased training opportunities and increased resources going towards training to ensure that that skilled labour that came in came in temporarily. There will still be a mechanism via which people can become permanent residents. There is minimal discussion about training people to fill in those gaps with the privatisation of the training system, the privatisation of the Commonwealth Employment Service. What we've seen is people not putting on apprentices because they can bring across people with the particular skills. I'll give you an example. I graduated from the University of Queensland as a doctor in, was it 1975? When I graduated, the population of Queensland was 2 million. There were 187 medical graduates, I think, at the end of that, or 167 graduates, right? In 2004, there were 100 medical graduates from that same university for a population of 4 million. And the way that that labour shortage was overcome was by bringing in overseas trained doctors to fill in that shortage because it was cheaper to bring in overseas trained doctors than it was to train local young people in this country who wanted to be doctors. Cheaper. And that's what we've seen across the board. We have seen the de-skilling of the Australian population 
because private employers no longer want or need apprentices because it costs them money. And I'm talking about, you know, small business. I'm talking about large corporations who maximise their profits by minimising their training and relying on docile, non-unionised overseas labour. So I don't see the problem being the people that come across. I see the problem lies directly in the hands of a government which has deregulated the 457 visas in order to make it easier for employers to bring in workers without even making a cursory effort to determine whether there's a skill shortage. Fancy giving the power to determine whether there's a skill shortage in a particular area to the employer. Fancy that. No other country in the universe, let alone planet Earth, would do that. But this is Australia, the land of opportunity. So this is total window dressing. Window dressing. And what I really loved, and I'll tell you what I really loved about all this, was all this talk about Australian values. Australian values. My beloved, your beloved Prime Minister, Mr Malcolm Turnbull, said, Australia first, employ Australians, and an immigration system based on Australian values. What is an Australian value? Is an Australian value the denial of how this country was formed through the annihilation of this country's Indigenous population? Are Australian values based on the lies around the First World War and Anzac Day? Are Australian values based on the policies of trying to destroy trade union u- trade unions and making striking illegal in this country? Are Australian values stripping away those few rights and freedoms we enjoyed in a spurious campaign against terrorism? Are they Australian values? I'm sick of this fair go bullshit because it doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. As you know, life in Australia is a handicap race. Handicap race. You're born on the right side of the blanket. You do well. You can use all those legal loopholes to get you and your kids moving. Great life. You're born on the wrong side of the blanket. Bad luck. You're just fodder. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. My name is Joseph Scano. You can access the uh, program by going to the podcast 3cr.org.au. This program is streaming live across the country, courtesy of the Community Radio Network. Let's move on. Look, I need to do something about Anzac Day because next time I... Uh, Broadcast, it'll be the 26th of April, which will be the day after Anzac Day. Won't it? Because it falls on a Tuesday this year. Now, there are lies. There are whoppers. And there's fake news. Now, I used to talk about Anzac Day as being based on lies. Let's, but it's more than that. It's really a whole morphology. Now, let's look at World War One. Let's look at World War One. World War One was fought by workers 
at either end of a bayonet for the glory of God, king and country. Let's not talk about freedom, democracy, the Australian way of life, Australian values, when we talk about World War I. World War I was a dirty little trade war between the major European powers which resulted in the deaths of over 25 million people which then led to World War II which resulted in the deaths of over 50 million people. Okay? He's got nothing to do with the struggle for freedom or democracy or equality or the Australian way of life. But on the 25th of April, you will hear people who should know better crapping on about this. When all it was was a little trade war fought by workers on either end of the bayonet for the glory of God, king and country. Australia had a population of about 5 million in 1914 and 420,000 Australian men volunteered that's right, volunteered to fight in the war to end all wars. People volunteered for a number of reasons. No work, a bit of adventure. Everybody who fought the war would be over within a month when it was declared in August 1914. Of those 420,000, 62,000 died on the European killing fields in the most grotesque ways been treated as cannon fodder, you know, in this battle. Nothing more than human cannon fodder, human suicide bombers. Nothing more. I mean, we have this picture of people going over the parapet to certain death to claim a yard of dirt. What's that? Huh? Do we celebrate that? Do we commemorate that? Over 8,000 Australians died in the Anzac campaign. Over 8,000. Of those that returned home, another 60,000 died of war wounds within a decade of returning back to Australia. And that's why in every city, in every town, in every suburb, there is a monument to those who died because over 120, 130,000 young Australian men, mainly men, died in this dirty little trade war which we commemorate on the 25th of April. Now, there was resistance. As the volunteers dried up, when Australians began to realise the nature of this war and people refused to volunteer, a strong anti-war, anti-conscription movement rose up in this country. That's right. We should have a great deal of respect for those men and women who fought tooth and nail to prevent the introduction of a conscription in this country. Because the Prime Minister, faced with an open revolt, that's Billy Fisher within his own Labor Party, because the Labor Party was in government at that particular point in time, faced with growing, growing resistance to the war, faced with a growing resistance to the throwaway line by the previous Prime Minister that we would fight this war to the last man and the last shilling, was forced to hold a plebiscite in late 1916. And an anti-war movement which was 
spearheaded by the industrial workers of the world, a radical, egalitarian, non-racial-based workers' group which had evolved in this country over the previous four to five years, who opposed the war from day one, seeing it as nothing more than a trade war fought by workers at either end of a bayonet, the industrial workers of the world spearheaded that campaign. And within 12 months, a growing anti-war movement grew up in this country, anti-conscription movement, which included large sections of the trade union movement. The Irish-dominated Roman Catholic Church led by Archbishop Mannix from uh, Melbourne. A strong anti-war, anti-conscription women's peace movement. In Melbourne, the Women's Peace Army on the eve of the 1916 conscription plebiscite was able to mobilise over 80,000 people on the Yarra Banks from a population of over of around 500,000 to listen to a bevy of, war spe- of women speakers imploring people to vote against conscription. And that first conscription plebiscite was defeated by the Australian people. The Australian Prime Minister, Billy Hughes, and one-third of the Labor Party members in Parliament crossed the floor as a result of that conscription uh, referendum, crossed the floor and joined the Conservatives to form a new government, which again tried to foist conscription on the Australian people. And again in late 1917, they lost the plebiscite to introduce conscription because people were sick and tired of this dirty little trade war. And 102 years later, we continue to believe the myths and the fake news which surrounds this because we need these myths. We need these myths to justify the increased militarisation in this country. We need these myths to justify our involvement in more and more so-called peacekeeping missions and wars in this country, uh, which we're involved, with this country is involved in. And with the increasing tensions around the world, especially on the Korean Peninsula, you begin to understand why the myths surrounding Anzac Day are so important, how it's so important that we ignore the facts. Now, if you want to celebrate something, you want to celebrate something, why not celebrate the New Guinea campaign, the Kokoda Trail campaign, when young men, barely out of their teens, fought the Japanese imperial forces to a standstill and helped to turn the war against fascism into a war about Australian values and democracy and freedom. Because that was that, why not, why not celebrate that, commemorate that as our pivotal day, the day in which Australians stopped an invasion of this country. Think about it. Myths. Is that Australian values? The fact that they're based on myths? 
manufactured fact, manufactured news, manufactured history. Myths. And that does no justice to the people who died. It does no justice to their families. When I speak like this, I have no rancour. I just have sorrow. Sorrow that their deaths, their unnecessary deaths, are being used as a justification for what is happening today. It is profound sorrow which I feel. You listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. Let's move on. As I said, lots of things happening. And why are they happening? Because what we are seeing around the world today is a 1920s news clip. We are seeing the emergence of so-called strong leaders who want to centralise power in their hands. It's no accident that President Groper, the United States of America, was one of the first people to congratulate the Turkish president on his so-called win in the Turkish referendum to change the constitution to such as an extent as to make parliament irrelevant, as to place power in the hands of one individual. It's no accident that President Erdogan of Turkey has become a bosom buddy of President Vladimir Putin. It's no accident that although they're kind of, you know, playing a shadow war with the United States of America and President Groper, it's no accident that these three individuals are attempting to concentrate so much power in their hands. And that's the story of the 1920s and the 1930s when we saw people like Mussolini and Hitler and Tojo in Japan concentrate power in fewer and fewer hands. That's what it's about. So we are seeing a rerun of history. And if we allow that rerun to occur without shouting and tearing down that 1920s celluloid and learning the lessons of the past, we face the prospect of major confrontation, major loss of life, not just in terms of conventional warfare, but in terms of nuclear warfare. And I know it sounds all very alarmist, but think about it. When you concentrate power in the hands of individuals and small groups of people, whether it's North Korea, whether it's the United States of America, whether it's Turkey, you know, it doesn't matter where it is, you, we as a society and a community and citizens of planet Earth run the very real risk of rerunning the same little video the same little film, the same little piece of celluloid that we saw in the 1920s and 30s with the emergence of strong 
men, so-called strong men, who centralised state power in their hands. Now, the Turkish people aren't stupid. I don't expect that Erdogan will be able to impose his will. The victory was so narrow, and the fact is what we could see in Turkey in the next few years is civil war. Civil war on a scale of what's happening in Syria. Civil war. Because the main problem with concentrating power in the hands of individuals or small elites is the fact that you don't have the checks and balances which exist, which prevent those people from exercising that power in a way as to cause significant harm to the community. And that's what we don't have. Look at the North Korea sabre-rattling. Now, irrespective, irrespective of what you think of the North Korean regime, they have been around for 70 years, irrespective of how crazy you think they are, you can understand their situation. Here they are, a society which has been at war for decades. A society which believes that its only way of surviving is by mutual deterrent. Now, I think most people have forgotten the concept of mutual deterrent. We saw it during the Cuban Missile Crisis, that if one one side presses a button... You know, there's going to be a lot of damage on both sides. A lot of damage. And the North Koreans aren't stupid. They understand that if they press a button, they're going to be obliterated from the face of the universe. They also understand that in order for them to survive as a regime, a political ideology, they need to have some type of mutual deterrent. Now, I haven't seen the North Koreans invade anybody since the end of the Korean War. But I have seen Russia and the United States of America invade a lot of places since the end of the Second World War. I haven't seen the Chinese and the Chinese Communist Party invade anybody except, say, in Vietnam in the 70s when they had a little bit of tussle. and You know, you don't see it. And when you talk about nuclear weapons, the only state in the history of the world that has used nuclear weapons has been a a democracy, the United States of America, Nagasaki and Hiroshima. So there is great potential for conflict as a result of the confrontations that are going on in the North, North Korea. Great potential for conflict. But what we've got to remember is that we are hearing the same rhetoric and the same fake news, the same distortions that we heard before the Iraqi invasion by the so-called Coalition of the Willing. We are hearing the Foreign Minister Julie Bishop talk about Australia being in the firing range for North Korean nuclear bombs. Come on. Pull the other leg, Julie. Think about it. Remember those weapons of mass destruction which were never found in Iraq? 
and all those people who are now pulling their hair out because of Islamic State, let's not forget that Islamic State was a creation of the chaos and carnage and the dislocation which occurred with the United States' invasion and the Australian invasion of Iraq when uh, the dictator Saddam Hussein was toppled from office. Remember that all the problems that we face, we see in the Middle East today, a significant proportion of them, can be directly related to that successful invasion which was based on totally false premises. And we are now hearing the same rhetoric. Look at the rhetoric. Look at the reality. Look at the reality of the power the United States of America is able to exercise in compared to the power the North Korean regime is able to exercise outside, outside its own boundaries. Obviously, it's got absolute power over its citizens in North Korea, but outside its own boundaries, national boundaries, the power it's able to exercise is minimal. Even if it's got a nuclear capability, it's minimal. Think about it. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. My name's Joseph Toscano. You can leave messages on 0439 395 489. 0439 395 489. You can ring, you can post, you can write letters, yes. Yes, we still answer letters. Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. But in order to answer them, I need a return address. It can be a postal address, but I need a return address. Sometimes people send me mail. No return address. Can't answer. Can't offer opinion. You can go to the websites. We've got a number of websites. You can go to the Defend and Extend Public Housing Facebook page. Defend and Extend Public Housing. The next Defend and Extend Public Housing action is on Wednesday, the 10th of May, midday, outside the Victorian State Parliament. Now, this issue has not gone away. The issue of housing affordability has not gone away. As I said, in the first week of 2017, this will be the major issue. Major issue confronting governments in this in this country. And it's an issue that people are recalling away from because the changes that need to be made are based on the very simple notion of introducing, reintroducing significant numbers of public housing as a mechanism via which to rein in the private marketplace. So if you are in Melbourne, join us midday, 10th of May, defend and extend public housing. Another website or Facebook page you can go to is defend is the public interest before corporate interest. Public interest before corporate interest. We are in the process of attempting to form a political party whose main agenda is to put public interest before corporate interest. That is its main social political agenda. In order to do that, we need 550 members who are on the Australian electoral roll. Now, I know many people who listen to this program are not on the electoral roll. You can still join. But in order for us to apply for registration, we need 550 members on the electoral roll. So if you are interested in promoting the concept that public interests should always be put before the interests of unaccountable corporations whose major responsibilities to their major shareholders, irrespective of the human, social, national, environmental costs, 
you need to think about seriously joining public interest before corporate interest. It's simple. You can download the application form from pipci, P-I-B-C-I dot net. Don't forget the Facebook page, Public Interest Before Corporate Interests. You can write to us at Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. You can leave a name and add contact address on 0439 395 489. 0439 395 489. And we'll send you out an application form to join public interests before corporate interests. Okay? Also, you can go to my personal Facebook page, Toscano, the number four, the public. I try to do a thought bubble, five or six every week, looking at issues or things I've seen, just to, uh, you know, keep in contact with people, become a friend, like the page, share the material, make a comment. I can't respond to everybody, but I do my best. You know, come Toscano for the public. And you can always go to our anarchist website anarchistmedia.org anarchistmedia.org you'll find much of the material I talk about up on the on the web page whether it's on the Facebook page Toscana for the public anarchistmedia.org public interest before corporate interest defend and extend public housing and the list goes on and on you can go to tunnamall.org for the Tunnamuay continuing Tunnamuay Mall Borhina struggle and currently we've actually extended that struggle where we have asked the Melbourne City Council to, uh, and it's going through these processes now, to look at the site of where we believe the burial places of not just Tanaminaway and Morbohina, but four other men who were executed, another Aboriginal man, Figara Akaputra from Warrnambool, and uh, three Irishmen who were executed who we think are buried at the site there. We've asked the uh, Melbourne City Council to do Ground, penetra- ground penetrating radar examination of the site before any development of the Queen Victoria, before or during the development of the Queen Victoria market. So that is on the agenda now. The Melbourne City Council has looked at that. They're going through a process by which to get all the appropriate consents in order to start that process. So we are moving. We are moving on many, many directions and we can move further with your support. You know, we can move further with your support because obviously we can't do anything in the long run. We can initiate campaigns, but whether they're successful or not, to a large degree, depends on your support. If you join public interest before corporate interest, it assists us to promote those ideas. If you come to the defend and extend medic, uh, defend and extend public housing rallies, it assists us in promoting those ideas. Now, many of these ideas may not be revolutionary ideas, but the dilemma is. The dilemma is there's nobody left, you know. Reform, reform doesn't seem to be on the agenda of any major political party or even minor political party in this country. It's all about maintaining the status quo. There's no reformers left. And we now find ourselves in a ridiculous situation of actually promoting reform, let alone revolutionary change, promoting reform to make people's lives better in this country. I'll give you an example. I do listen to radio occasionally. Don't watch TV. Don't do much surfing of the net. But I do like to listen to radio because it gives you an immediate type of opinion. And I'm really 
flabbergasted, flabbergasted, I never thought I'd use that word, on the ignorance of people. Total ignorance. Over the last few days I've heard people tell us we're so lucky. That's right. We're so lucky we have long service leave. We're so lucky we have a public uh, health system. We're so lucky we have public education. We're so lucky, we're so lucky, we're so lucky. I think to myself, excuse me, excuse me, you bloody idiot. And these are so-called intelligent people who have been interviewed on radio, you know, people who've got something to say, who the host has thought, oh, well, let's bring these people in to, you know, uh, (laughs) promote the current agenda, right? Don't you know anything about the past? Don't you know we're not lucky? Don't you know that we have these things because of the struggles of the men and women in this country over generations through their blood, sweat, tears and sacrifices by them going on strike, by being involved in occupations, by being involved in protests, by actually uh, forming political parties which promote particular agendas which assist the population as a whole. We're not lucky. We are squandering, squandering the legacy of a century of struggle. We have squandered over the last 40 years during the deregulation, privatisation, globalisation, corporatisation revolution. We have squandered many of the gains which were made through the blood, sweat and tears of previous generations. We had overtime payment because of their struggle. We had a minimum wage because of their struggle. We had regulations in the workplace which protected people because of their struggles. We have a thing like the Transport Accident Commission which has a no-fault insurance system which is paid for by the citizens of every state to look after people injured in accidents through struggle. We now have a national national disability insurance scheme which will be paid by the people of this country, not by the businesses or the elites, but the people of this country, through struggle. We have had a royal commission into sexual abuse of children and institutional sexual abuse of children because of the struggle through generations and decades of people who'd been abused. Everything that we take for granted, that we talk about being so lucky in this country, whether it's the revision of history, of the historical account about how this country was created, whether it's the promotion of gender equality, whether it's the promotion of ideas of equality that are based on people's sexual orientation or the fact that we shouldn't judge people by the colour of their skin or the language they speak, but by their character and what they do. These are struggles that millions of people have been involved in in this country. Most of them, gone, gone, dead. They would be turning over in their graves. Turning over in their graves if they knew what was happened if they knew how we had lost those advantages because we thought we are so lucky that somehow God put her hand down and said, 
you are our chosen people. These things will happen for you. Or the employer said, oh, you are such nice people. You no longer need to send your children to the mines because we are such nice employees. We will look after you. Or political parties said, we'll promote this political agenda because we think it's nice, not because there was a big public push to promote that agenda. All right? Think about it. We're not lucky. We are squandering the efforts of the past. We are squandering what we have won on the altar of mammon. We think that if we give the private sector and the corporate sector its head, that everything will trickle down to us. This has been the propaganda, the myth of the last 40 years. So we are not lucky. We are unlucky because we haven't learnt the lessons of history. We haven't learnt that everything that we have today in this country came through struggle. You've been listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. You can leave messages on 0439 395 489. You can go to the websites anarchistmedia.org, pibci, P-I-B-C-I dot net, tunner, T-U-N-N-E-R, mall, M-A-U-L, You can go to the Facebook pages, Public Interest Before Corporate Interests, my own personal Facebook page, Toscano for the Public, Toscano for the Public. You can go to the Facebook page, Defend and Extend Public Housing. Don't forget, support the West Papua Independence Movement, come to the Open Day, have a free lunch, Saturday the 22nd of April, 1 to 3pm, 838 Collins Street in Docklands. Listen to The Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station. Remember, this program is podcast. Go to 3cr.org.au and send us $1 stamps. Post Office Box 20, Parkville, 3052. Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death construction an analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World This Week, Australia's Sacred Cow Slaughterhouse. 10am every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning their brainwashed minds. Oh, larger. Genocide here is a lot more sneaky than it is in Rwanda or other places around the world. It's one thing white fellas learnt in the last 200 years to be very sneaky about their genocide. You look at the 38 nations that were here before white settlement and then you count up the numbers that are still surviving, still out there doing their business on their country. Well, there's only 25 left, so what happened to the other 13? Let's talk about the Black GST. Genocide to be stopped, sovereignty acknowledged and treaties made. Tune in to Fire First every Wednesday from 11am till 12 midday on 3CR with Robbie Thorpe.